Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 19 as we conclude our series led by fire. If you've been with us for the past 13 weeks, we've been uh, studying the life of Moses and discovering how God literally led the nation of Israel, led Moses by fire. And the reason this is so applicable, the reason this is so vital, the reason this is so important for us to grasp is because the same God that led Moses is the same God that desires to lead you. The same God that led the nation of Israel is the same God that desires to lead our church, desires to, to guide us, desires to provide for us, desires to do miracles along the way. Supernatural things are happening to the nation of Israel all around them as, as God is leading them through the wilderness, leading them to a promised land. He's transforming them from a nation of slaves to a nation of warriors. He's leading them from a land of captivity and delivering them to a land of promise. And God is doing extraordinary things as they go. And that's exactly what he wants to do in your life and mine. He desires to lead you by his spirit, desires to go ahead of you, desires to work upstream from you, desires for you and I to take hold of this reality that the best really is yet to come. And that doesn't mean that, that it's been easy. It doesn't mean that it's, it's been a cakewalk. It doesn't mean that the road won't get a little bumpy. But it means if you seek him, and that's the, that's the pivot, that's the, the hinge that, that will determine this. If we seek the Lord, the best days really are ahead of us. And, and, and that's what makes Exodus chapter 19 so relevant, so practical, so timely for us today, because uh, as we've shared back to schools this week, uh, kids are, are ready for back to school. Parents, well, I don't know if they're ready, but they're going. Uh, parents maybe are a little more ready. Teachers are engaged. We're, we're ready for a new season. And if you don't have kids, maybe, maybe you're, you're an empty nester, all of us, this, we're entering to a new season as follows upon us. And so Exodus chapter 19 teaches us How do we prepare for a new season? Here's what's interesting. Uh, Thus far, the nation of Israel has experienced God doing extraordinary things. They've witnessed 10 plagues to to, to release them from Egypt. They witnessed flies and frogs and disease and, and pestilence and hail and locusts and darkness and death, all for their freedom. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They witnessed destruction of the world's most powerful army at the time, the Egyptian army. They've witnessed the defeat of the Amalekites, another country that that came to attack them as they're in this wilderness season. They saw God's supernatural provision and protection and deliverance. As Moses lifts his hand to the Lord, the nation of Israel experiences victory. The nation of Israel has experienced water in the desert. Like Moses strikes a rock and water gushes out to the degree, to the magnitude that's able to, to supply water for two million people in an arid desert land. The nation of Israel, they're experiencing provision from heaven as quail and manna are raining down. They're literally eating the bread of angels on a daily basis. And that's a lot of miracles. There's a lot more miracles that took place around that. But the best was yet to come for them. God had more for them. In the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. And no matter what you've experienced in your past, no matter how you've seen God show up in profound miraculous ways. God desires to do more in your life and through your life. The best days really are ahead of you. My prayer for you today, my prayer for all of you listening to this podcast at a later time, maybe those of you joining online, for sure for you sitting in the room. My prayer is that we never become a people 
who feel like we've experienced it all. We've witnessed it all. We've heard it all. We've learned it all. We, we, we've arrived. Here's the reality. God has more. He has unlimited supplies. He desires to reveal more of his power, more of his presence, more of his provisions in your life. And that was true for the nation of Israel, and it's true for you and I today. When we come to Exodus, what we're about to see in the following chapter, Exodus chapter 20, is God revealing himself to people in such a profound way. So before we look at Exodus chapter 19 and how we get ready for a new season, let me just show you what, what they experienced as, after they got ready. We jump to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, this is 40 years after what we're about to read in Exodus chapter 19. And here's what Moses writes in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. He says, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Now, that's an interesting word, Horeb. Uh, that's used interchangeably with Mount Sinai. So if you're new to studying the Bible or you're a student of the Bible, uh, Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are, are used interchangeably. At one, one chapter in Deuteronomy uh, that's used several times, uh, Horeb and Mount Sinai all speaking to the same geographic location. But he says, so you, you remember when you stood before the Lord at, at Mount Sinai or Horeb, uh, when he, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my word so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens. Now think about this. Like there's fire consuming a mountain. It's almost like a volcanic eruption. Uh, although it's not vol volcanic activity, it's, it's fire. It's the presence of God st standing before people, revealing himself to two million people at one time, black cloud and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. So the whole nation of Israel, hearing God's audible voice speak. Deuteronomy 5.4, the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. So after all the miracles they experienced, after, after all they'd seen God do, God still had more for them. And I would submit to you, he has more for you as well. But here's what I want you to notice. Don't assume that that all happened automatically. Don't, don't assume that sometimes we can get to this place where like, hey, God's going to do whatever God wants to do regardless of what I do. And I would submit to you that's not true. God desires to do a lot of things. He desires to work in power in your life. He desires to do miracles in your life, through your life. But whether or not you and I will experience them depends on how ready we are. God desires to do big things in this church, but whether he will or whether he won't, you and I have a part to play in that. There's a lot of things that God desires to do that never take place because people aren't, aren't ready. God, the Bible says it's, it's God's will that everyone experience salvation, like everyone come to the saving relationship with Jesus. That's his plan. That's his goal. But we have a part to play. People have this thing called free will and it all gets tripped up from there. But that's what Exodus 19 is all about. So today we're going to be talking about getting ready for a new season. How do you get ready for a new season in your home, where you work, where you go to school, in your church? How do we get ready for a new season? He wants to do new things. So Exodus chapter 19 reveals three keys to getting ready for a new season. If you're taking notes, this is where your notes begin. And I invite you to hang on to these notes and over these next few weeks, maybe pray over them, uh, chew on them a little bit, meditate on them, uh, think about them as God desires to do new things as we kick off a new season together. Here's the first point. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. We get ready by recognizing how much God loves us. We get ready for a new season by recognizing how much God loves us. Sometimes, if we're honest, uh, our human tendencies, we're, we're able to drift more easily 
to questioning God's care rather than we are in marveling at God's love. It's easier for us to question God's care, to question whether he really sees us, to question whether he really loves us, than it is just to marvel at the radical grace, the amazing love of God displayed in our lives. Especially whenever you're coming through a hard season. If you're in a difficult spot, it's easy to say, God, why did you let this happen? God, how, how did this take place? God, where were you when that went down? Instead of saying, God, thank you for your radical love. This is especially true if you've had a, a bit of a checkered past, if you've done some things that you regret, if you've failed and really hurt some people you love, then it's easy for you to come into a place like this and rather than encounter God's love and experience all God has for you, to allow failure from your past to trip you up. And that's what's on the forefront of your mind rather than the God who sees you, the God who knows you, the God who cares about you. We can become consumed with what other people might say or, or, or how I feel in this moment versus really encountering God, and so as we, we embark on a new season, this is pivotal for the nation of Israel, it's pivotal for you and I, is just to remember, remember how much God loves you. And that might sound like cotton candy Christianity. Uh, I get that. But let me just submit to you, if that sounds like laissez-faire, that sounds puffy and light, that's really the heart of the gospel, right? Like, for God so loved the world, he took, he took action. Now, the nation of Israel could have said, God, where were you? God, God I, I'm, I'm not sure you really care for me because after all, we were slaves for 400 years. After all, God, some of the plagues impacted us. God, where were you then? God, God, why did we ever have to wander in the desert? Why couldn't you just give us a direct shot there? God, why did we ever experience need? Why do we have to wonder where our next meal was going to come from? God, why did we think we were going to die of thirst in the desert when you had a plan all along? God, why? They could have lived in that, that space. And listen, I would just say God can handle your questions, so talk to God about whatever's on your mind, but never allow our questions to overshadow the fact that God really does love you. So let's stand as we read uh, our first part of the passage today in Exodus chapter 19. So if you would, stand up with me to your feet. Nothing else will be good to stretch it out. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, which you are to say to the people of Israel. So before God does anything, before God ever asked anything of them, help me out with these words that are embolded. It says, it says you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God, would you speak to your church today through your word, I pray. We thank you, God, that your word's alive. May it come alive in this moment. Help us to grasp it. And apply it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So at the jump, God is reminding them that, that the only reason they are at Mount Sinai, the only reason that they are not still captives in Egypt, the only reason that they've experienced freedom is because he's miraculously delivered them. He said, I carried you on eagle's wings. It's this image of like an eagle soaring down, plucking them out and carrying them to a new destination. Now, what did the nation of Israel do to earn their freedom? Did they purchase their freedom? Did they fight their way to freedom? Was it their good looks that led to their freedom? What, 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 what was it? It was the Lord who rescued them. And the Lord's reminding them, because I loved you so much, I chose you. I've set you apart for myself. I've, I've plucked you out. I've carried you on eagle's wings. And the implications for us is obvious. If you're sitting here today after all you've been through, not everyone knows your story, but you know your story. You know those moments when you thought, man, I think all hope's lost. 
You knew what it felt like when you, you, you thought, man, there's no way out of this one. But how did you get here? The Lord carried you. The Lord had a plan for you. The Lord, Lord has a bright future for you that's, that's brighter than the darkest past that you could ever experience. He rescued you. Why? Because you earned it? No, because he loves you. God loves you more than you can imagine. And experiencing God's best in your life begins with understanding that because if you don't believe he loves you, then you'll question his care and then you won't turn to him whenever you really need help. And therefore, you won't experience God's, God's, God's activity in your life to the degree that he desires to. When we glimpse, get a glimpse of how much God loves us, it leads us to come to him with the big things, with the small things, to talk to him about everything. One of my favorite passages, uh, Psalm uh, 37, verse 23, it says, it says the Lord directs the, the steps of the godly, and he delights, he delights in the details of their life. Listen, the Lord delights in the details of your life. Sometimes maybe you feel like you're a burden to him. Maybe you, you're like, hey, I'm sure God's busy. Maybe I shouldn't talk to him about this. No, he delights in the details of your life. But with my kids, I love when they talk to me about the details of their day, and not because necessarily what they've watched on YouTube Kids is important to me, um, or I really care about it, but I care about them. And therefore, I delight in the details of their life. I love it. I delight in it. And the Lord delights in you in that same way. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. They, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumbered the grains of sand. Here's a, here's a good exercise maybe for you if you wrestle with this. If you feel like, man, I, I think God, I, I really believe God loves Dan, but I'm not sure he would, he would really love me. I think God would, would bless Miss V, but I'm not sure he, he would bless me. I think God's for Ronnie, but I'm not sure about me because if you knew what I did, then you'd understand why God would reject me that way. If that's where you are, I would submit to you a good exercise would be go to the beach, uh, which is always a good idea. Uh, <laughs> But, but go to the beach and do this. Take, take two cups. Take one cup of sand and one empty cup. And you begin to count the grains of sand as you put them in each and every cup. And the Bible is telling us that the Lord, the Lord delights in you to that degree. Like, like once you're exhausted from counting the little grains of sand and moving from one cup to another, then, then lift up your head and look at the whole beach. And the psalmist is saying, more than that is the Lord's thoughts about you. You're on his mind more often than that. He has plans for you. He has next steps for you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. He delights in you to that degree. Now that's love. That's a radical love. That, that's a love that's worth celebrating. That's a love that if we really grasped his love, we would be so excited for the future. We'd say, God, I can't wait to get up tomorrow because I know you got good things for me. I delight in my kids. One thing I say to myself every day, that, 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 that my, my heavenly father is working even more diligently and effectively on my behalf, whether I see it or not. Just so I do anything to help my kids. I know my heavenly father is working even more diligently and effectively on my behalf, whether I see it or not. Why? Why can I say that? Because if I love my kids and I'm a jacked up dude, but I try to my best to help them, how much more would a perfect, all-powerful, omnipresent heavenly father be able to guide and direct my life, whether I see it or not? It makes me excited for the future because I say, God, you must have some big things ahead of me. God, you're guiding me. You're directing me. You delight in the details of my life. And God, I'm just so excited to see what you do next. It says, when I wake up, you are still with me. 
It's this, this thought of like, man, tomorrow morning, I can't wake up. I can't wait to wake up. And it's like, like God saying, Richard, when you wake up tomorrow, I'm still with you. Michelle, hey, when, I know you've been sleeping, but I've been working all night. Hey, Rosemary, hey, I got fresh mercy for you today. Hey, Steve, your past might be dark, but your future's so much brighter. Hey, I know where you've been, but I also know where I'm about to take you. And I'm with you every step of the way. It's his love that reminds us of that. We got to grasp as we begin to enter into a new season. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is teaching us about the way God feels about you. And Jesus says this, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a, a penny? In other words, two, two birds sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Think about this. Like, like, how many of you woke up this morning or any day of your life, for that matter, and were like, i got to count these puppies because <laughs> I might have lost one in the night. One, two, three, four. No, no one does that. Like, you don't even care about that. And what Jesus is teaching us is that God cares about you so much, God loves you so much, that he cares about things in your life that you don't even care about. He, he, he's that enthralled with you. The creator of the universe marvels at you to that degree. He delights in you. It's amazing. Not even the hairs, uh, like we don't count the hairs on your head. He says, so don't be afraid. You're worth much more than birds. Like, hey, he's got your back. You might not know how it's going to play out, but he does. You can trust him. It might feel like everything's lost right now, but listen, he's got a plan. You can trust him. Follow him. Makes us excited for what's to come. When we understand his love, hope springs up. We begin to anticipate the goodness of God at every turn. Second, we get ready for a new season by responding in obedience. We get ready for a new season by responding in obedience. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. He says, now if you, full, if you obey me fully and keep my command, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. We get ready for a new season by responding to obedience. But let me just say this. Uh, Christian religion, Christian obedience is not like all other religions. All other religions, and I would submit to you, typically just the human heart, apart from a scriptural understanding of who God is, operates from a different framework. That framework of all other religions is this. If you obey, if you behave, then you'll be accepted, then you might be blessed, and then you'll be loved. Christianity says, I love you, I accept you, I've blessed you, and out of response to all that, I invite you to obey me. Very different paradigm shift. Very different understanding of, of who God is and why God desires for us to obey him. Exodus, again, 19, verse 5 says, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. Two, two reasons I would submit to you it's, it's healthy for us to obey God. First, just to put it into a human understanding, uh, if you are married or you have hopes to get married, uh, whenever you meet an individual that is wifey material or you meet a man who is husband material, what's the first thing you do? You begin to study that person. You begin to say, hey, I, I think she likes this. Whenever I, I first met Tiffany, I recognized she likes this kind of food. She likes, she likes this kind of, these kind of shows. She likes this kind of music. She likes, she likes this kind of activity. She, whenever I do this, when I bring her flowers, she, she kind of likes that. But whenever, whenever, now, whenever I make the bed, she, she appreciates that. <laughs> Doesn't happen a whole lot, but I'm just, when I do it, it's good. And so I've, learned, I've studied her enough to know what she loves. And because I love her, 
I try to do the things that bring her joy. I try to do the things that put a smile on her face. And I try to avoid the things that erode trust. I try to avoid the things that damage the relationship. I try to avoid things that would hurt her. Now, in that sense, the law that we're about to see in Exodus chapter 20 is the greatest gift that God could ever give a people who he's inviting into a love relationship. Because he's saying, hey, if you love me, here's how I, I, I respond to that love. If you want to know what I like, it's not going to require 16 years of marriage and guesswork to figure it out. I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to lay it out for you. I love when people walk in integrity. I love when people honor me. I love when people walk in sexual purity. I love when people are honest. I love when people walk in contentment. I love when, when people honor their mother and father. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And in that sense, the law, obedience to it, is the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive because it's letting us know this is how God ex wants us to respond. This is, how, this is what brings God joy. And there's some other things that could break God's heart. And because I love him, God, I just want to do things that bring you joy and honor. That's one reason I would say obedience is vital as we enter into a new season. Uh, the, the Bible says this in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians says, says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. There's some behaviors, there's some actions that we can take, that I can take, that you can take, that would hinder God's activity in your life and mine. And, and if we get ready for a new season, it's, it's incumbent upon us to say, God, I just want to be obedient to you. I don't do anything that would hinder your activity in my life. Second reason I would submit to you that obedience is vital is because he's the creator. We're the created, right? Like, like some of you uh, who don't drive a Tesla drive uh, gas-powered vehicles, Right? And so, so if you drive a gas-powered vehicle, uh, then you've probably been feeling the pinch at the pump this summer. Right? Gas prices are up. And, and like every time I fill up the, the truck or the van, I'm like, gosh, this is it's expensive. Right? And so I could say this is my truck. And, and so therefore, I know I didn't create it. I know it's made to run on, on gasoline. But water would actually be a better idea. Like it's more efficient. It's, it's at my house. It's cheaper. And after all, it's my truck. And so I can do to my truck what I want to do to my truck. It's my truck, right? So I can get the garden hose and pump some water into my gas tank. Yeah, yeah, so you don't even think about doing that, right? Now, why would that be a bad idea? Because my truck's made to run on gasoline, not water. And some people are constantly broken down the side of road of life and wonder, where's God? God, Why? but they made the decision to pump water when they're meant to run on high octane. And God's word as the creator says, hey, you're my creator, I, you're my mat, I delight in you, I love you and I love you so much. I'm gonna give you a guide to help you navigate life so you don't land broken down on the side of the road. But matter of fact, you can thrive, you can flourish in life and that becomes from, from obedience. Before I was a follower of Jesus, I thought Christianity was a big buzzkill. And I started going to a church that was a little bit rigid on this topic, but it made me kind of get in line. And here's what I discovered in that moment. I, I discovered what I thought would lead to my captivity actually led to my freedom. And what I thought would lead to my freedom only led to my captivity. And I would just submit to you, if you want to push back on this point, I dare you to try it. Because there's an owner's manual for your life. The creator wired you this way. And whenever you do, and live in accordance with your created design, no matter what the topic, when it comes to your finances, 
when it comes to your work ethic, when it comes to sexual purity, whenever it comes to honoring your parents, when it comes to lying, cheating, stealing, you name it. When you apply biblical principles to your life, you come alive. The degree you flourish, the degree I flourish, or the degree that we don't, is really hinges on this one point. So let me ask you a couple questions. Do you know what pleases God? Have you studied him? Have you studied what brings him joy and what breaks his heart? Second question, if you've studied him and you know what brings him joy and you know what breaks his heart, is there anything in your life that you know is displeasing to him? Whatever that is, I encourage you to get rid of it. As we embark on a new season, if you're going to experience God's best in this next chapter, we've got to respond in obedience. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. So it says, if you do those things, then you'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, what's a priest? A priest is someone who talks to God and tries to help people connect with God, right? And he says, that's you. Like, that's going to be your, that's your job. That's your honor. We get to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, uh, this is reiterated in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you're a chosen people. Like, feel the honor of that. A, a royal priesthood. I don't know what you say about yourself, but that's what the Bible says is true. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, meaning you're, you're set apart. Uh, it means you're, you're, you're not like everyone else around you. Culture can go that way. The society can go that way. But you're, you're distinct. You're God's chosen people. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare. This is our call. This is our purpose, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why did he choose you? So you could say, hey, let me tell you about my heavenly father. Let me tell you about the God who rescued me. Let me tell you about the one who snatched me up, who delivered me on eagle's wing. Let me tell you about the one who chose. Let me tell you about what the Lord's done for me. One of the ways that you display you're chosen, one of the ways that you display that you're set apart, is you don't live like everyone else around you. That's one of the reasons that, that, that God would give the nation of Israel a law. Think about this, uh, the Sabbath day. So, so you think about the Sabbath, taking one day of rest, right? And so someone calls you up, hey, let's go hang out. What are you doing? Nothing. Well, great, let's go hang out. No, I can't. Why? Because I'm doing nothing. <laughs> Why? Well, it's a Sabbath. It's just a way that God's kind of wired into the creation of the world, and, and I just want to honor him by, by taking a day of rest. And so I'm, I'm just doing nothing today. Why are you doing that? It leads to a conversation, right? It is, it's God's way of saying, you're not going to work 80 hours a, a, a week and not, not take a rest. It's, 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 why, it's, it's designed to just declare, to, to recognize so that other people can recognize, so we can declare, hey, God, we're, we're going to live as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're going to live set apart. So we honor God by obedience because, man, we just want to do what pleases him. We recognize all he's done. And God, we don't do anything that breaks your heart. We also know, man, you've, you're the creator. We're the creator. We're going to do things according to your design. Third, we, as we wrap up here, um, we get ready for a new season by setting aside special time with God. As we head into a new season, I am asking you to, to set aside some intentional time with the Lord. Typically, as a church, we would do a fast in the season. Uh, but I, I, rather than doing a, a corporate fast, we'll, we'll do that after the first of the year. But 
But in this season, for the next few weeks, I'm just asking you, is there there's some intentional time that you could set aside with the Lord? Now, some of you have a vibrant relationship with God. And yeah, like you talk to God on a regular basis, you're in his word, you know what, what, what he's asking of you and what he likes, what he doesn't like. Uh, I would ask of you, is there another time that you could set aside some intentional time with the Lord in this season? Uh, for, for my wife, Tiffany, and I, what we've been doing is trying to go on walks first thing in the morning. We've been praying together on walks. We pray for you. Uh, we pray for your families. We pray for the church. We pray for the ministry season coming up. We pray for our kids' teachers. We pray for some things that are happening in our personal life. Tiffany has her own time with the Lord. I have my own time. But in this season, we're just trying to say, how can we spend some more intentional time together? Maybe you would incorporate a fast into that or whatever that may be. I just invite you, set aside some intentional time outside the norm to encounter God, to talk to him about some things going on as we enter into a new season. I also recognize in a room like this that many of you probably don't have a time set aside with the Lord. And like getting to church on Sundays, like that's it. And that's, that's awesome. We're glad that you're here. I would invite you over these next three weeks, maybe for 15 days, take this as a challenge. For the next 15 days, take 15 minutes a day. And here's what I'd invite you to do in those 15 minutes. First five minutes, just thank God for what he's done. Like, what are you thankful for? Even if you don't believe in, in God or Christianity, listen, research shows that's a healthy practice for all of us. So, so just thank God for, for what's going on in your life for five minutes. Uh, second thing I would invite you to do is, is let God talk to you for five minutes. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to be starting a new series going through the book of Romans. And so a, a good way or place to start, uh, five minutes a day, just read a chapter. You can read a chapter in probably less than five minutes, but just start Romans chapter one. And then we're going to be teaching about it uh, throughout uh, the, the coming weeks. And so for five minutes, you're going to give thanks. Five minutes, you're going to, going to let God speak to you through his word. And then for five minutes, you just talk to God what's going on in your life. 15 minutes a day for the next 15 days. I'm just telling you, it'll prepare our hearts for a new season. Here it is, Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Here's an axiom. Here's a spiritual principle. God comes to those who are ready. God comes to those who are ready. There's a whole lot of things that God desires to do in your life and mine that if we're not ready, we'll just miss it. You might be at the grocery store and, and God's been working in a in person's life that you're going to encounter. But unless, unless I'm ready, unless I'm spiritually attuned, unless I'm sensitive to that, the Lord could be speaking to me and I'll just miss it. I would say the Lord's speaking all the time. Uh, the challenge is not that God has a speaking problem. I have a listening problem. And so if I'm not hearing the voice of God, then, then something's wrong in me. And, it, and it's time for me to consecrate myself, to set some, some time aside just to spend with the Lord. Consecration is an interesting word. Uh, it's in the, the Hebrew, it's Kaddish. It simply means setting ourselves apart for a specific purpose. And so in this season, I'm inviting you to, I think we got a definition of that. Maybe we can pull up for consecration. Yeah, so just setting aside uh, some time for a specific purpose. Say, God, I just want to encounter you. God, I want you to speak to me. God, God, I need you in my life. Watch what God does. If Moses and the people of Israel say, hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to consecrate myself. Like, I, I know, like, day one, we're supposed to do that. Day one, we're supposed to, like, set aside time. And then day three, I think God's still going to show up. I would say that's not true. Again, I think God desires to do a lot of things in his people's lives that we just miss because we were not 
ready. This is a principle throughout the New Testament. Be ready. Matthew 24, 44, so you also must be ready. Luke 12, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Luke 12, 40, you must be ready. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard. In other words, be ready. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober and alert. In other words, stay, stay ready for what God desires to do in your life and through your life. Waiting on God has never wasted time. We have to wait and see how God's going to work. And that's what they do. They wait day one, day two, day three. God shows up in ways that no one in human history has ever experienced before and no one has ever experienced since. God has more, but we got to be ready. In closing, how do we get ready for a new season? We get ready by recognizing how much God loves us. We get ready by responding in obedience to what God's asking of us. And third, we get ready by setting aside special time with the Lord. That's exactly what the people of Israel do, and watch what happens. Here it is, the very next verse. Chapter 19, verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, so day one, consecration. Day two, consecration. They're focusing on, on God's love, how he carried them, how he rescued them. They're focusing on, on, on obedience. We just want to do what honors the Lord. They're focused on special time with God. They're setting aside, consecrating some time. On the morning of the third day now, there was thunder and lightning and thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I want you to imagine this with me. They're at the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai, a huge mountain. There's been pillars set up to say, hey, people, you can't come any closer to this. Don't, don't touch the mountain because if you do, you're going to die. It's a sunny day. Nation of Israel is at the foot of this mountain, two million people plus livestock plus other people. It's a sunny day and all of a sudden a cloud begins to come in and begins to rest on Mount Sinai. And there's thunder and there's lightning. And if you've ever been in an electric storm, it's awesome, but a little terrifying at the same time. And two million people now hear a trumpet sounding. And everyone in the camp trembled, it says. Verse 17, then Moses led the people out of camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended in fire. So there's fire like consuming this mountain. It's not like mountains we have here in California with trees and, and, and shrubs and like foliage that can burn up. It's a, it's a desert area. It's kind of like a mountain in, in Las Vegas, like just a naked mountain, like there's nothing to consume. But, but now the Lord comes and he descends on the mountain in uh, flames of fire and fires, according to Deuteronomy, is shooting all the way up to heaven. It's almost like a volcanic eruption, but it's, it's not. It's this thick clouds and darkness and lightning and thunder and now fire. And it's this, this awesome, awesome scene. The smoke billowed from it as smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. Like, can you imagine like an earthquake taking place? The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder. And now the trumpet sounds ear splitting. Why? Because God, very God, the creator of the universe is now coming down and touching earth, revealing himself to mankind. It's this trumpet saying, hey, here comes the king. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And the people, you read just a few verses later, the people are so scared. They're like, don't ever let that happen again. Don't let God talk to us like that because if he does, we're going to die. Like it was a terrifying encounter with the Lord. 
They saw something no one had ever seen. They saw something that no eyes have ever experienced. But they had to get ready. And I would submit to you that we have an even greater honor than what they experienced. Let's look at it in Hebrews chapter 12, talking about this same moment. He says, unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all the volcanic blaze and earthquaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and the soul-shaking message terrified them, and they begged him to stop. When they heard the words, if any animal touches the mountain, it is as good as dead, they were afraid, and even Moses was terrified. That's what Israel, under the law, experienced. That's how God's presence was revealed to them. But I would submit to you that, that we, as followers of Jesus, we get the joy of a different mountain, experiencing God in a different way. The very next verse, verse 22, no, that, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides, the invisible, invisible Jerusalem with, populated by throngs of a festive angels, joyful angels, and citizens of heaven, the saints who have gone before us. Hebrews talks about the, they were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, these, these saints who've paid the way with, with sacrificial faith, now all there in heaven. It's a city where God is judge, and with judgments, he makes us just. Did you catch that? It's a different mountain. It's, it's judgments, but not judgments for condemnation. It's judgments that make us just. It's this, he's rendering a verdict saying, hey, your sin has been forgiven. Hey, hey, your past has been erased. Your future has been secure. The, the account balance has now been brought to zero. All your sin, all your shame, it's been expunged. He's rendering judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He's the mediator of this covenant the murder of Jesus, unlike Abel, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, became a proclamation of grace. Do you see the contrast in these two mountains? That's what the author's trying to draw our attention to. One mountain was dark and foreboding, stormy and fearful. Another mountain is bright and joyful and celebrative. On one hand, you have a mountain of fear and danger. On the other hand, you have a mountain of joy and peace and safety. One mountain has boundaries saying, hey, don't come any closer or else you're going to die. Another mountain says, come on in, come on in. Everyone's welcome it's to draw people close. What's the difference? What's the difference in the two mountains? It's not God. The same God's on both mountains. This God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The only thing that's changed, the pivotal thing that's changed is that now God's radical grace is available through his son, Jesus Christ. So now your experience of God's presence isn't dark, fearful, and foreboding, but it's bright, it's celebrative, it's inviting. It's where you come alive. When it comes to getting ready for a new season, that's really where it all starts. There's nothing more vital to get ready for a new season than receiving the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You, you, some of you here, maybe, maybe your best next step is to say, hey, I'm coming back. Like, I know, I, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. It's just been a way. And today I'm making it, I'm just, I'm, I'm all in. I'm not, I'm not going to take this lightly anymore. I realize the awesome presence of God's available. I recognize all he's done for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Maybe you're here and you've never made that commitment, but today would be your day to do so. And for some of you, you might say, hey, I think I got some time. Like, I'm a young person. I, I got time. I got some things I want to, I got some plans. 
and obedience is going to be on pause for those plans. I would just submit to you that's a very serious decision. The very next verse, Hebrews 12, 25 says, don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings did not get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our back on heavenly warnings? You say, what's the heavenly warning? Well, four times in just two chapters, Hebrews says today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't, don't harden your heart. In other words, if God's doing a work, if the spirit of God's doing a work in your life, respond to that. The book of Revelation says, says the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit is obviously God's spirit. The bride is the church. And today, the spirit's doing a work in your heart. And here we are as a church, we're, we're both saying, hey, come on in. Come on in. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't, don't delay this. Don't, don't put this off. This is a big deal. Come to Jesus while you can. Everyone will encounter God. For some, it will be very fearful. For some, it will be the most joyous moment that words fail to describe. If you're a follower of Jesus, then man, we, let's get ready for a new season. We do that by recognizing God's love, responding in obedience, setting aside special time to spend with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you invite us into relationship with you. So God, I pray that you prepare our hearts for a new season. God, you prepare our hearts for what you want to do in our church and in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. And God, I pray for everyone here that doesn't know you. God, that today would be the day of salvation, that now would be the appointed hour. Today would be the day to respond to you and experience your love and radical grace. If that's you today and you're in this place and you're saying, hey, I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, that begins by acknowledging, believing in your heart that God paid the penalty for your sins on the cross, that Jesus bore that shame, that, that, that punishment, and believing that he rose again. And you're just talking to God about that. If that's where you are, I'd love to lead you there. So you just talk to God and say something like this. Say, God, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Now, God, I, I recognize I've blown it. I've, I've sinned, and that's what separated me from you. And so, God, today I, I just come to you and say, I, I recognize you gave your life for me, so today I'm giving my life to you. If you've been away from God, you just say, God, today I'm all in again. Maybe you've been putting some water in the gas tank. Say, God, no, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to come back to live according to my design. So, God, I pray you give me a fresh start and a new beginning today. In Jesus' name. As you continue to pray with your head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you want to begin a, a real relationship with Jesus, it would be my joy to pray for you before we get out of here. So, uh, if that's you, just slip up your hand. Let me know who I'm praying for. And, Slip your hand, show God you're, you're going all in with him. Thanks. 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 Jesus, you see those reaching out to you. And today, God, I pray you'd reach out to them and they'd sense your touch. They'd sense your forgiveness. They'd embrace your love. That today would be the first day of the rest of their life with you. So God, fill them afresh with your spirit, I pray. Give them courageous faith and strength to avoid the attacks of the enemy that want to take them, take them to a dark place. God, so would you help them? God, would you help us as the church to come alongside them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that made that spiritual commitment today.
It's awesome.